You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. So as John kind of stole my message and already did some review for us, um, we're good. I did. I had way too much last week. I don't have enough time for it all this week either. So if you weren't here and you missed it, go get it. It was kind of just laying some foundation for this. Um, so you're going to have to go catch up. You have to do it in reverse, back it up. But, um, oh man, I was on the right spot until I switched it. But basically what we were talking about last week is I, well, I'll start. Okay, I'll do a little review. I had mentioned that, you know, I had started, I had um, I prayed a stupid prayer. Anybody ever pray stupid prayers accidentally or sing stupid worship songs accidentally? Jesus, have it all. Jesus, whatever you want. I'm all yours. And then you're like, well, I didn't really mean all. <laughs> I mean, I should mean all, but yeah, not that. Um, so I've, I just started, I've just been seeing in the world and seeing in myself and in my family and the way I tend to respond to things, this, this victim mentality that, oh my gosh, it's so hard. I just can't do life, and I'm just waiting for somebody to come in and rescue me and win the lottery, and then this will all be better. Right? Anybody else ever? <laughs> yeah, okay. So I'm like, that's not what I see in the Word of God. That is not who I am created to be. So I just, I prayed, God, help me to not be a victim anymore. I don't know why that bothers me. I'm just decided I'm going to start moving it. Because um, it blocks me. It <laughs> covers half of me. Um, that's not who I am. That's not who the Word says I am. That's not who I want to be. Your Word says I'm powerful to produce wealth, which is relational, healing, life, provision, resources, to impact this world and to show everybody who doesn't know God how good he is, what a good daddy is. I, I heard one, one pastor, I don't know who it was, or, or teacher saying, you know, he loves doing this. He loves showing people how good his God is. And um, like, oh, wow, you know, who are you? Are you? And he goes, no, I'm a son. I'm a son of God. And oh, wow, your, your dad must be really good. And yeah, and he's still adopting. So he's still accepting more kids. So come on into the family. Okay, so really what I'm trying to tackle is this, this topic of identity. Okay, because like John said, we come into this world with this idea that we're orphans, there's, because of sin, there's shame involved, and we just have this outlook in life that, that this is the way it is and this is the only way it can be. Um, but I really, I want, to, I want us to find freedom from the areas we might still be thinking and living like orphans. So go get last week's podcast. Now let me scroll down to where we're starting today. Okay, and these lies, these lies about our identity, these lies about not being accepted by God, by not being worthy or valuable or, you know, good enough. These all started with the question in the Garden of Eden, did God really say? Okay, and we see that this is in Genesis, Genesis 2 and 3. Okay, so what happens is God creates man and woman. They're free from shame. It says they are, um, they are naked and unashamed. Okay, that hasn't happened in a long time. So they're, they're fully exposed, and yet they're vulnerable. And I think this says more, this speaks to me just as much about their heart condition as it does their physical condition, that there is a freedom. They are exposed. They can be fully intimate with one another and with God, and there's no shame. There's no hiding. 
uh, Genesis 2.25, we, uh, we see that. The man and his wife were naked, but they felt no shame. Okay, shame, this word shame in this verse, um, if you look it up in the Strongs and get some context for it, it's used to mean to be ashamed, astonished, confounded, put to silence. Note that. The origin should not apparently be sought in the idea of blushing. Okay, so it's like, oh, I'm ashamed. But rather than the paleness and terror, fear, fear, to fail in hope and expectation. Okay, to be ashamed means you have lost your hope. When applied to the mind, in whatever way, it can mean troubled, disturbed, and confused. To put anyone to shame, especially on account of frustrated endeavors to disgrace. So those are some of the ways this word is used in the Old Testament. Okay, so let's break some of that apart. Some interesting meanings in this word. Shame will cause confusion. Okay, which is a troubling and disturbing. Okay, lack of peace. Jesus says, I came to give you peace. Not peace like the world gives, but my peace I leave with you. So you're not ashamed, you're not afraid. You're bold, you're courageous. Um, causes confusion. So what you see when clouded by shame will not be reality. When what you see is being influenced by shame, it's probably not real. One of the best examples of this is, because, um, you know, shame tells you the lie, you're not good enough, and then creates that world around you, makes it true. Your brain believes what you tell it believes what you really believe. So you can say, I'm valuable. But if you're saying, everybody rejects me, if you believe that inside of you, everywhere you look, your brain will find instances to prove that true. So when somebody doesn't wave to you when they drive by and somebody doesn't see you in the grocery store, your brain says, see, they're rejecting you. See, you're not worthy. Where if you don't have that in you, you go, Oh, yep, they were distracted. They, their kids are screaming and throwing a fit. Obviously, they didn't see me. No big deal, not personal. Do you see the difference? What's inside of you, your brain will seek to prove. That shame will, will cloud and transform what you see. Okay, shame brings terror or fear. I love 1 John 4, perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Okay, and Okay, here's your homework. Let's just get it out of the way. You're going to read 1 John, the whole five, four, five, five chapters. I think there's five or six, five. I thought Karen was giving me. Okay, <laughs> what was it? Somebody tell me. You're going to read Galatians 5. Okay, some homework. Uh, and you're going to read 1 Corinthians 13. Homework, got it. You can take a couple weeks, that's okay. But those are really good uh, it's been feeding me, so you should read it too. Okay. Shame is without hope or expectation, and I put, of good. Right? Shame is without hope or expectation of good. This can possibly be caused by failed endeavors, right? Like, you failed in marriage. You failed in business. You failed in, uh, or maybe you just failed in a moral sense, and there was sin in your past, or, or whatever, or just facing difficult circumstances, and you're just like, losing hope because you're like okay maybe I'm not good enough maybe I don't deserve this this promise that I see in this bible maybe I've there's something so wrong with me that 
you know what, I'll be a servant in God's house, but I don't get to be a son. Okay, that's shame. And it whispers lies that you're a failure, you'll never measure up. And one of the things, this is interesting, is that it can also, because of that failure, it can try to lie to you and tell you that you have to pay penance the rest of your life to make up for that. We were talking about the situation somebody was in, and I had had a chance to talk to this person and said, oh, yeah, they faced this loss. And he said, oh, that makes sense. A lot of people who, and he said, who have an abortion typically carry that guilt with them for the rest of their lives, like they're paying penance. Oh, that was so interesting. What That is shame, you guys. Look, that doesn't make having an abortion something God is going to applaud or be happy with. But, that does, but, but no, whatever you have done, you, you know, and the other one I think of is divorce, right? We can, we can um, he, he sees all the craziest stuff on social media. I do too, but not like this. He said there was this thread on, are you comfortable? Is this uncomfortable? <laughs> I'm ratting him out. No, he said there was this um, thread on Twitter or something where people were saying, oh, well, just because I got a divorce doesn't mean it, the marriage failed or something like that. Was that close? And it was like, well, yeah, it does. That's the definition of divorce is this didn't work. And what I see people doing is in, because this shame doesn't feel good, we want to push it off. And so like we mentioned last week, we're either going to blame somebody else. You made me feel this way. You made me act this way. You made me do this. Or we're going to push it the other way and go, well, I don't want to be ashamed, so let's not call this wrong. Let's not call this a failure. Or if you've got a nice little religious spirit working in you, it's going to say, man, you'd better work really hard and feel really guilty for the rest of your life if you want to still show up in God's presence. Those are all lies. Those are all lies that shame tells you. Um, oh, look, I had all that written down. We don't want to normalize what we've done, the bad things we've done. Repent, receive forgiveness. Become whole and new. That's available. Okay, the other one I was fascinating in this definition was shame will silence. What did it say? Put to silence. Okay, shame will silence your voice. It will silence your power. It shuts you up from having the influence you were meant to carry. It shuts you down. Don't let it stop you from using the word of God against the lies to speak out the truth and shout a no to the devil. Don't let your influence and your voice on this earth be stolen by shame. Use your voice and say no. Okay, and here's the thing, right? We're talking about shame, which tells you I am wrong. You, you're bad. You're wrong. That's shame. We're, we're, this is what we're not wanting to be. But guilt, guilt says that was wrong. That hurt the Father's heart. That hurt the people around you. Guilt gives us the opportunity to go, oh, forgive me, God. But it doesn't say you are the problem. It says what you did was not who you are. You're above that. You're a son of God. Let's repent. Let's change. Turn around. Ask others for help. Receive forgiveness, not condemnation. Okay? So the lie, this lie, we're back to Genesis 2 and 3. The lie came that began to weave itself into Adam and Eve's thoughts. So the serpent comes 
and he starts tempting them. And he starts saying, did God really say? Okay? And what he's saying is, God can't really be this good. Look, he's withholding something from you. He's withholding the fruit of this tree that would make you like him, that would give you knowledge and insight. And obviously they loved God. Like, who doesn't want to be more like God? Well, Satan did, and that's why he's now cast out of heaven because he wanted the worship and the glory. So he's feeding them this temptation. Like, he's withholding something from you. There's more, and he's not telling you. What a lie, and we, don't, we can't bite that lie. And we do, and I'll get to that in a minute, and we do in different ways. Okay, and here's what he, what he said God was withholding. That tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Good and evil, this knowledge, but we weren't meant to carry that, okay? But they reached out, they took hold of what they were not meant to carry, and then we know the sin separated us from God, made them aware of the good and evil, brought shame, which is the awareness of their lack, their failure, their vulnerability and nakedness, where before they trusted God wholly. They could be vulnerable and open, and here I am, and shame said, you might not be enough. Look, here's the, this is my favorite description of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It says, here's good, and here's evil, and you're probably about here, so you have some work to do, right? It's this um, legalistic, ladder-climbing you're either proud because you're better than somebody else or you're shame because you're not. You're somewhere on this ladder. Jesus came to tear up the ladder. There's no ladder. Okay, so it's good and evil. Um, it tells us you're not good enough or then we get proud because we're, well, I'm doing pretty good today. And psh, I remember in, in college I had this friend who um, was sleeping with her boyfriend And I had this other friend I knew who, so let's say sleeping with your boyfriend is a level five. Okay, on like good, we're on the ladder, right? Good to bad, okay? Level, or 10 or whatever, whatever. It's the the worst because outside of marriage, whatever. My little Christian friend was like, oh, that's so bad. That's a level 10 while this friend was probably at a five in the sexual expression or, right, making out level with significant others that they were not married to. That's the knowledge of good and evil. Does that make sense? I don't know where else to go with that. I thought I had something else. That's what the knowledge of good and evil does. It, it rates people. It doesn't say, wow, you are hurting your heart by giving it in that way outside of marriage, level five or ten, It says, well, not that bad. So pretty good. Or, you know, a level 10 person is going, oh, man, I, I did. I'm messing it up. Now I don't know what to do. And level 5 person is judging me, so I can't go to them for help. Get it? Okay, let's move on. That might have been God. It probably was just me. Okay, so before Adam and Eve consumed this fruit, they lived innocently, vulnerably, and trusting, trusting God. They walked with God because he was good and thought nothing more of it. Walk with God because he's good, having a relationship. They're eating the fruit, sorry, so eating that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Open to them a world of good works and bad works, life and death, peace and turmoil, hope and hopelessness. All of a sudden, there's all this going on. Sin brought shame. 
shame causes us to retreat and hide, put up walls of protection. We already said this says you, you're not and you never will be good enough. If people found out who you really were, they would reject you. Shame tells you you're not good enough, not loved, not valuable, then creates that reality around you. We already said that. But shame was not our intended covering. Okay, we were designed to find safety and protection, fulfillment and purpose, identity and meaning within God's love and this community of people around us. Okay, to be fully known, seen and honored as sons and daughters, fully alive, imperfect and full of God's love, adopted as sons. Okay, and we already talked about blame. So we're going to skip over that, go, go get last week's... Um, I added to my notes on that since last week, but we do need to skip over it because I don't have time. I have enough to get through Wyoming and possibly all the way back to Gunnison. So so here's where we left off last week, but I didn't do any review. That wasn't review, guys. I don't do that. Okay. Jesus faced the same temptation to doubt God's goodness. The, The devil comes, okay, to doubt God's goodness, to doubt his identity with God, okay? Look, I just, it just cracks me up that Satan would try to tempt Jesus with the word, nonetheless. But, um, but here we are. Matthew 4, if you want to turn there, um, we see in the first two verses, Jesus is water baptized in the river, uh, then baptized by the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. Okay, so picking up Matthew 4, verse 3, and I'm in the NLT probably. It says, during that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. But the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Okay, what did you notice? Did you notice? If you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, right? If you're the son of God, you shouldn't be hungry. If you're the son of God, he'll keep you safe, right? Won't he? And then what happens is when we entertain those thoughts, then we start going, well, there was that one time I prayed and, and I didn't get the miracle, was that one time I feel like maybe he didn't come through? And you start to take the bait. Did God really say he'd provide for all my needs? Did God really say he'd heal me? Did God really say he's that good? Okay, and if the devil's stupid enough to try with this with Jesus and tempt him away from his identity and away from God's goodness, he's going to try it with you. So be aware of the devil's schemes. Okay. If God really loves you, why are you going through this? If God really loves you, why isn't life easier? Why is this thing so hard or better? If God really loves you, why did this bad thing happen? 
right? Why, why didn't that business or relationship or prayer for a miracle happen? God's, does, are you sure you're a son of God? Are you sure God is really good and he's not withholding something from you? If God really loves you, why don't you have more fill in the blank, peace, joy, hope? God really loves you. Where was he when? These are all things, and, and probably it shows up in why. Why did that happen? It's not a good question to ask. You just turn your eyes back to Jesus. Why? Because we live on a fallen planet where God doesn't have his way 100% yet, and people get to make really dumb choices that hurt each other. That's why. The other thing he says is, if you'll kneel down and worship me, which he had every right to do, I can't get into that today, but we sinned, we gave him the authority. I guess I'm getting into it. We sinned, we gave him the keys to the kingdom of, of, uh, to the earth. He had the authority here. Jesus came to win back those keys and gave us the power and authority again to be his representatives on this earth to bring heaven to earth. A little brief, okay? If you'll kneel down and worship me. Okay, if we will take that bait, we're going to look for ways to meet our own needs, fulfill our own purposes, and define our own design on our own terms, on the devil's terms. Meeting legitimate needs. These things are legitimate, leg, legitimate needs. Purpose. Um, design. Needs. We all have needs for recognition or approval or acceptance. Those are legitimate needs. But when we start to look for them in illegitimate ways, it's sin, and sin always leads to death. So Jesus, Jesus was going to take back the keys to authority on earth, but on his own terms. He was going to eat another meal when he was done fasting on his own terms or on God's terms, not the devil's, right? Not on the devil's terms. He was going to experience fullness and life and protection and favor from God, but not on the devil's terms, but on God's. Okay, so what you produce as an orphan will never satisfy. You have the temptation to go, yeah, you're right. It seems like God isn't going to come through and I'm on my own. So I better start making this happen. Taking care of myself. I don't know where the next meal's coming from. I don't know where the next provision's going to be from. I don't know where I'm going to get love or acceptance. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this on my own in my own way. But doing that, what you produce as an orphan will not satisfy you. Life created apart from God will not bring fulfillment. The stress, confusion, turmoil, loss of hope that you might are experiencing, if you're experiencing that, might be because you're running from God's purposes and design for you. The thing that comes up in my head when I say that, that I jotted down, studies show, I think studies as far back as the 70s, non-Christian, secular scientists and doctors saying that doing surgery on transgender patients does not reduce the, the uh, rate of suicide and depression. Why? Because the shame that brought the confusion and that lied about their design and invited the turmoil and frustration, put on that big dose of, you know, slapped on that hopelessness, it can't be rooted out with surgery. Or maybe that's not your struggle. It can't be rooted out with pursuing Success and achievements outside of God. It can't be found outside, you know, outside of God's design for marriage and pursuing healthy relationships and community. Okay? 
It can't be overcome with the applause of people who are just as confused about who they are. Freedom from shame is stepping into your real identity as a child of God. This God who loves you enough to lay down his life to purchase you back from the pit of shame and sin and call you his own. I love the verse in Isaiah. He says, my arm is not too short to save you. I don't care how deep, how messy, how dirty, how broken that pit is. He can reach in and he lifts you up and calls you a son. What you produce as a son will bring satisfaction in real life. A life built in step with the Holy Spirit, guided by his design and gifting, built with the strength of the Father's life and resources, it brings fulfillment. And it will outlast your years on this earth. It will bring a legacy. I love that. Where an orphan is living for today, we're surviving today, sons produce legacy. And it's fulfilling as you do it. Here's one of the things we have to be careful of. If you're going to walk down the path of discontent, discontent, right? We're questioning God's goodness. Did God really say, is he really good? Am I worthy? It's going to keep you from seeing all of the good things God has done for you. You're going to miss all of the blessings, all of the grace, all of the love he has shown you. Okay, so gratitude, contentment, and thankfulness. Keep your eyes set on him. That will keep your eyes set on him. And it will fuel your hope for tomorrow. When you're thankful, when you're seeing what he is doing and what he has done and you keep that in front of you, that fuels your hope. If you're losing hope, you need to lift up your eyes. You need to look at God again. You need to see that he is good. Look up. Get your eyes off the circumstances and the devil and fear and lies that are taunting you into shame, tempting you to live small, safe lives, and remind yourself, of his faithfulness and his goodness. The other thing in that is um, refusing to compare and classify yourselves with other people. Again, it's the latter. It, it could even be like, well, they drive this car and I work just as hard. Why can't I have nice things? I don't know. Go buy yourself a nice car. That's the thing that I've been figuring out, and I mean, it's a 20-year process, at least, that God has been transforming me in. It's, it's, it's an interesting combination that I was thinking about because the memory that comes to mind, uh, I should have worn it. Um, do you guys remember ID bracelets? Anybody old enough in here? <laughs> yeah. It was all the rage when I was in sixth grade. You know, you got this cute little bracelet with your name on it, and a little heart. Mine has a little heart on it. It's gold. Or silver. Mine's gold. Yeah. Actually, anyway, whatever. I might have a silver one, too. This story, I wanted one. I wanted one. I was asking, asking, asking my parents. I've told you this story before. So my dad goes, and in fairness, I'm a mom now. There may have been more communication along these lines that I missed, but here's my version of the story and how it affected my heart. case my dad's listening. Okay. Dad says, great, let's go down to the jewelry shop. We shop. I'm so excited. Dad's going to buy me a bracelet. We get there. I pick one out. It's 30 bucks. I don't know. 35 bucks. I'm like, oh, wow, that's awesome. Okay, an engraving. Okay, great. Dad goes, okay, so how much money do you have today? 
I thought I was getting a gift from my father. He was teaching me a lesson about budgeting. Oh, <laughs> sorry, guys. Let's buy me jewelry, guys. Um, what that did in my heart was it, and I ended up, obviously, I bought the bracelet. They probably even covered some of it. I didn't have a job, guys. I was 10. I mean, I hated babysitting. I like my kids. And I like your kids up here. They're cute. But I don't want them at home. What that did in my heart was it said, oh, I'm on my own. That's an orphan. That's an orphan that says, I have to look out for me. If I want things, if I want this, what is that, a social status <laughs> in sixth grade, I've got to go get it. I've got to do something. And yet, the orphan mentality inside of me also said, you're broke. You don't have enough. You probably never will, so you can't buy yourself nice things. Okay, so it's this process of like, now I'm, now I'm like, wait a minute. I can buy myself a rug for my living room? Huh, I could buy art for the wall. I don't have to just try to paint it myself, and I'm not an artist, and it looks stupid. Interesting. You see what's happening? It's, so it's an interesting, like... It hits you from both ends, and yet here we are. So comparing and classifying, which is where we are. Shoot, that was a long detour. It just makes you look at other people and what they have and go, see, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to get that. God isn't providing for me there. And you don't know how they got that or why they have it. And it just makes you dissatisfied. You fall back into being a victim and blaming or being entitled, right? Like, who's going to fix this? What's the church doing about my problem? What's the government doing about my problem? No, no, no. Deuteronomy 8.18, I have given you the power to create wealth. Not just money. I know that's all we hear when we hear that, but to create powerful relationships, to create businesses that impact the world, to bring answers and solutions to make my home beautiful and buy the rug and the painting, okay? But that's not in the, I better do it because nobody else will for me. It's, I'm going to choose this. This is beautiful and what I want to surround myself with. Okay. Sons of God are about the Father's work, to do the Father's work and live in the life he designed you and me for. In order to do that, to be about the Father's work, to bring those answers, to bring those solutions, we need to be in his presence. Okay, Psalm 100 says, we enter his presence with thanksgiving. More homework. Go read Psalms 100 because I don't have time right now. We enter his thanksgiving, sorry, we enter his presence with thanksgiving, not complaining. Parents, can I get an amen? How many, how many kids get what they want when they're, well, when they're complaining? Sometimes you're like, fine, just leave me alone. Doesn't work with God. He's a better dad than that. Okay, complaining and comparing will not grant you access into his presence. So I'm convinced that unless we really know God's love, unless we, until we can really get this in our, every fiber of our being, we are going to continue to live like orphans in this world. Knowing that love is going to set you free from this way of thinking and living. It's going to heal you deliver you from that shame, 
deliver you from doubt. We already know that the, the perfect love of God casts out fear because there's no punishment. There's no doing penance for your, your past sins or mistakes or for just being you. Somebody probably needs to hear that. Okay, and those lies we lug around all day long. God's love can set you free from that. And just to be clear, because a lot of the church is going crazy town on this, I don't mean God's love means you get to do whatever you want. Read 1 John. When I say love, I don't mean God so loved the world that he gave his only son, bankrupting heaven so that people could keep on sinning and living foolishly, seeped in shame and disgrace, cursing God, destroying the people around them, and still be called righteous. Got it? The Bible is very clear that those who believe and receive Jesus are transformed, are being transformed, and are called sons of God. Doesn't mean if you make a mistake, you can't say you're sorry, repent, receive forgiveness. Do it a hundred times a day. He'll be there. But don't pretend that you can live hurting yourself and hurting people around you. Rejecting God, rejecting Jesus. Oh man, there's a verse in Galatians 5. Paul says, he's talking about, you know, the law and grace and you guys are saying that I'm preaching circumcision, which is doing what's right to be right with God. He's like, then why am I still being persecuted? He's like, if I, I'm being persecuted because I'm preaching Jesus Christ, the true, the, the way to heaven. Anyway, that was just a really good verse. You should go look it up. John 3.20 says, because we love quoting John 3.16, just keep reading a few more verses. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. Okay, orphans blame, they seek handouts, they don't believe they're powerful. Sorry, I keep hitting the wrong button. They avoid real intimacy, which they avoid the light, right? Avoid the light of God shining in them, they avoid letting other people see who they really are, and they're in survival mode. Okay, so love. We have five minutes, we're going to talk about love. And don't be like, don't check out, don't be like, oh my gosh, I know love. God so loved the world. No, no, no. If you knew love, some of you wouldn't act the way you're acting. I wouldn't act the way I act if I had God's love. If I really knew how much he loved me, that would be pouring out of me a whole lot more. Okay, so let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, starting in verse 1. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation just because I really like it. And it might help us shake off some familiarity. And hear it in a new way. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. So good. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy and with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, but have never learned to love, I would gain nothing of value. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Okay? Without love, words are hollow and noisy. They may be true, but they're only irritating and painful to those who hear them. With love... Our words can bring healing, hope, restoration, and redemption. 
Without love, revelation means nothing. Love is what connects people to the Father's heart, to that revelation. A life void of love will make impotent a million prophetic words, prayers, and prophecies. I'm not saying the word of God is not powerful. I'm saying if you don't know love and you continue to believe and live like an orphan, you will sabotage the favor, the promise, the prophetic over your life. You're going to bury your gifts and turn every palace into a prison if you are an orphan without love, love of the Father in you. And then this, this phrase, but have never learned to love. Love is what defines us. It makes us and shapes us. Without love making us and transforming us, we are no one. We are nothing. John, 1 John 3.16, John 3.16, this is how we have discovered love's reality. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. Because of this great love, we should be willing to lay down our lives for another. 1 John 4.10, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is love. This is how we even know what love is because he loved us. He bankrupted heaven. He sent Jesus. He said, I give it all. I pay it all for you. Verse 3 said, without the pure motive of love, when we give, we gain nothing of value. Okay, without love, kind of maybe what John was saying earlier, the gift is not seed. Without that motive of love in your giving, whether it is of your time, of your resources, of your whatever, he said, even if I die, without love, I can boast, but I gain nothing. It's not seed. Without love, a gift is not a gift, but an obligation or a manipulation. Aren't you glad God doesn't love that way? Without love, you can give honor, kindness, gifts, or resources, but it will not be multiplied back to you again. It's not seed, okay? I like uh, to, you know, it's not what you sow, it's how you sow. How are you sowing? Generously, in love. And that's what you'll reap. Okay, love is a choice and it's a fruit. So I can choose to respond in love while I'm being developed in love. Read Galatians 5. Okay, fruit is developed in us through the seed of God's word and being in his presence Fruit produces nourishment for ourselves and others. So we've got this love healing us, this love strengthening us, making us who we're meant to be, and then we get to pour that out to other people. Okay, and then 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So above all else, let love be the beautiful prize for which you run. And then we read this last week, and then I'll close. I'm going to read it again, and then we'll close. From the Passion Translation, Romans 8, 14 through 16 says, the mature children of God, children, are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Okay, children of God hear his voice. We move with him. We flow with him. We're not fighting against him. We're not going about it in our own way. Okay, God, thanks for saving me. Thanks for my ticket to heaven, but I'm going to do this thing my way. That's not how it works. That's not fulfilling and satisfying, and that comes from that orphan soul. Maybe we should say orphan soul. Okay, you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved Father, 
for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our inmost being, you are God's beloved child. Okay. That's it. Let's, um, did we get through Wyoming? Cool. Pretty much. All right, let's stand up. I, um, I'm going to pray some things over you. I jotted down a couple notes. So if I'm looking at my thing, that's why. One of the things I got while we were in worship this, in this morning, just all morning, I've had this sense that some of your hearts, maybe it was because you're wounded, maybe there's fear, whatever, betrayal, abandonment, I don't know, but you have, I just saw your heart, and it was wrapped in barbed wire and chains and locks and walls and all this protection that you could possibly build up around your heart and you thought you were protecting yourself but what that has done did I write it down what you've done is isolated it and it's become stagnant because God cannot get in real life cannot get in you have you have created this barrier to protect yourself but God says let me into your heart take off the chains Thank you, God. Your word, your, your word is powerful. I just see your word, a sword, cutting out those chains, cutting out that fence. And God, I just, I just heard you say, I don't use my strength against you. That sword is not to hurt you. That sword is not to cut you. That sword is to protect and heal you. So God, I just pray for whoever that is, whoever's heart is just so bound up in, in that um, isolation. That God, you... Thank you for your word, cutting through, making new paths, making a way. So, God, there is freedom. There is life. I just see a fresh flow, like a, like a river, you know, in a stagnant pond. You just need that fresh flow. Get the junk out. Heal, heal the wounds. Heal the infection, God. I just thank you for that right now. Your power flowing into hearts, releasing new life, releasing hope. And, God, washing away the shame. It's okay. You can let those chains fall. You can cut that fence away, the barbed wires. It's okay. It doesn't mean you can't have boundaries. It doesn't mean you can let people hurt you. But it does mean you need to let God in and let him heal you. The other thing I've thought of was, I'm pretty sure along with that prayer of not being a victim, was I had this habit of turning, you know, when something happened, I was getting real bad about just turning quick to blame and quick to offense and that those paths and you know there's like little train tracks in your brain and that train was whew, going super fast to offense station and blame station so I was like God help me shut down these paths of thinking and these habits and he did so I just want to say you know I'm going to pray for you too that um that that those roads are closed We're putting up a road closed sign or a Closed for reseeding. You see those around here a lot. We're closing down this path that has been trampled to death, and we're going to let God reseed that. And so, so God, I just thank you. Where our thoughts and our ways of thinking have been whew, so easy to offend, so easy to blame, so easy to shame, so easy, God, to, to criticize and compare. God, I just pray, God, put up a road close sign close for reseeding, close for healing. And God, I thank you. When we look, we'll see. We'll see a path to life. We'll see the path to believe the best about others. We'll see the path 
to powerful thinking, to believe the best about ourselves, to, to experience your love. So God, thank you for that. God, I just pray for everyone right now in this room. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that your love would be revealed to us in new and deeper ways. Thank you, Jesus. Pour out your love right now. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your love pouring out into us. You are love. You can believe it. You are loved. He chose you. You are his and he is yours. You belong. You're accepted. He has forgotten your sins. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your love. Amen. All right. Well, on the count of three, let's say Jesus is Lord of the Gunnison Basin in the world. You guys can go eat some snacks. What a great day to like. It's all cloudy and cozy. We get to study the word and go eat donuts and coffee, like, or whatever's out there, cookies. Birthday cake for Becky. Everybody give Becky a birthday hug. I don't even know if she's in here. All right, on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord of the Gunnison Basin and the world. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.